0: Right now, I want to just ask Gary to come back up and to read our scripture passage out of Colossians 1, verses 19 to 20. From Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Thank you. Church, pray with me. Father, as we come this morning, we submit ourselves to the authority of your word. It has authority over our lives. Holy Spirit, I I pray right now just for receptive hearts for each of us, As we look at the Christ child, may we come in awe and wonder and reverence of who he is. Prepare our hearts right now to receive the authority of the word that you have over us. As Darren gives the message, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Church, please be seated and uh, give your attention to the screen.
1: Well, good morning, church. Um, Certainly, uh, Merry Christmas to you all. I know this is the week of Christmas, and this is certainly not how I wanted to be giving this sermon. Uh, Nonetheless, I'm super grateful for the technology, but if you haven't heard yet... Uh, Karen and I, we contracted COVID, and so we are quarantining. and don't worry, everybody's doing fine at this point. and uh, right now we don't certainly seem to feel like there's a severe case in any stretch of the imagination. But nonetheless, here we are in the 10day quarantine, waiting for everything to get cleared so that we can get back to our normal lives. Certainly appreciate your prayers, but nonetheless, Uh, I wanted to be able to still share with you what I feel like God has put upon my heart as we continue on in this sermon series, um, which is titled He Is. We're really looking at Jesus in this Christmas um, season because we want our eyes to be fixed upon him. And so I just want to start off with a word of prayer. And as I as I pray, I just want to acknowledge that while I'm praying here this morning on this video, like God is hearing this prayer and he, he can hear this prayer and make it effective for right there on Sunday morning. And so let me just go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I, I thank you for this day and I thank you for the privilege to be able to share your word. I thank you for each person that's hearing this, whether they're right there in the room or whether they're at home watching online. And Lord, I'm also thankful that you hear me now, and because you're eternal and outside of time, like you can take these prayers and you can apply them to everything that's going on there on Sunday morning. And so, Father, I just pray that you would speak through me, a very weak and broken vessel. I pray, Father, that you would be exalted, that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted high in this season as we look to this wonderful truth and reality that Jesus, your son, is going to be reconciling all things to himself. So Father, just be with us this morning. I pray that you would encourage our hearts on this Christmas season, and I pray, Lord, that you would just speak through me. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. So most of you know that when I was younger, I worked at Bank of America. In fact, I worked at the Bank of America just across the street over at Comaterra Center. And I love that job. It was a super fun job because I got to meet so many different people, work with people there at the uh, teller's uh, window or whatever it was in and drive throughs. And for the most part, like it was one of my favorite jobs because of all that. But there was one thing I hated every single day. And that was as you closed the day out, you had to go through and you had to make sure that your drawer was reconciled with the computer. In other words, that your cash and what you actually physically had there matched what the computer said you should have. Now, most of the time that worked out pretty well, uh, but especially during Christmas seasons, that was a really challenging and really a nerve-wracking thing as you'd go through that whole process and then kind of hit that equal sign at the end to see whether or not that drawer reconciled because there was so much money coming in. There were so many transactions that would be done throughout the day. And I can remember how much I hated it when I would hit that equal sign and my drawer wasn't reconciled. And I hated it because everybody was forced to stick around and wait while you dug through all of your transgra- transactions and while you tried to count your cash again and tried to find what was wrong with the drawer and how that needed to be reconciled. And in those moments, like either what was um, found what was wrong had to be found or there needed to be a difference that needed to be forgiven in that process. And so here's the thing and why that analogy I think is important for me as we come to this topic this morning is that when something is unreconciled, it's mean that it's not right. It's not in a right relationship to something or to someone else. In this case, it was my bank drawer to my computer or to the transactions, the actual cash to the transactions. And so, um, when that happens, something has to be at work reconciling what is unreconciled, bringing back to right order that which is unreconciled. And Colossians tells us that Jesus, the very fullness of God, as we've been talking about, the very image of God, that he, through Christmas and what was going on at Christmas and his life and his death and his resurrection, that he is not only reconciling us to himself, but he is reconciling all. Things to himself. Meaning that all things apart from Jesus are unreconciled. Just think about what that means. All things apart from Jesus are unreconciled. They are out of order. They are out of right relationship to God and to Jesus. And you know, I think a lot of times we come to Christmas season And we do oftentimes focus upon that idea that we individually are reconciled, but it is so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. And I think we can't truly grasp what it means for us to see the beauty of what it is to be reconciled until we can also see what it means for something to be unreconciled. So here's the point. Every single thing that you and I experience in this world is tainted by wrong relationship every single thing in this world is out of order storms that rage and destroy earthquakes famine anything that rocks our foundation diseases like covid which is why i'm sitting here in this room videotaping this instead of there with you in the room but all of these things are tainted by life in the world beating out of order Our work, our entertainment, our relationships with one another, everything is full of this. Specifically, our relationships. Think about how much of our relationships are marked by pride and distrust and enmity and covetousness. Like this is the world we live in. Everything is unreconciled. Merry Christmas, right? Like That doesn't seem like it's a very joyful Christmas week sermon, and yet it is. Because who would care about Christmas if everything was already perfect? Like what hope would Christmas have if everything was already reconciled, if everything was already exactly the way we want it to be? The truth is that God made everything in perfect order and everything in perfect relationship with him. It's not anymore. It simply isn't anymore. This is the world we live in. Because of failure and because of rebellion and pride of his creation, particularly us as mankind, like everything, all of that sweet and beautiful rightness was disjointed. It was disconnected. Everything became unreconciled. Everything stands as its default position, including creation, as unreconciled to its rightful place. Jeremiah chapter 12 verse Puts it this way How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it, the beasts and the birds are swept away because they said, He will not see our latter end. Creation is groaning. The land is mourning. The the grass is withering. Beasts and birds, like they're being swept away. Colossians is telling us that God in Jesus is doing the work of writing all of this, of fixing all of this, of correcting it all and bringing it back into relationship. Not some things, but all things. So before getting into how that specifically plays out, I want to look, though, first at the why. And what I mean by what the why is, I want to ask the question of like, what is the motive of God in sending his eternally existent word and son into the midst of this unreconciled mess? I want us most of all this morning to see his heart in Christmas, what his motive is, the father's motive. You know, when I go back to my, my bank story, um, my motive for reconciling my drawer was fear. Like, that was why I wanted my drawer to reconcile, because I didn't want to lose my job. But that's not God's motive. That's not God's motive. What was the Father's motive in sending Jesus? And you've probably already thought in your head, well, that's easy, it's love. And, and absolutely, it's love. But I think I want to go a little bit deeper. I want to look a little bit closer. First and foremost, I want to look at the first motive of his pleasure, his pleasure. Have you ever thought about why God made everything? I'm mean, like, why did he take out of nothing and make the universe in which we live and make the world and make the moon and make the stars and make us as people and make uh, dogs and cats and things for us to enjoy? Like, why did God do that? He didn't need anything. If he needed anything, like that's simply wouldn't make him or make him not to be God. He created all things for another reason. And Genesis, at the very beginning, gives us a little bit of clue because when he's done looking at all the things that he's created, he says what? It's good. In fact, he says it's very good. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 can be translated that he takes pleasure or desired to create all things. Psalm 104, 31 puts it this way. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Now, this isn't a prayer. This is a declaration. This is something that's being said because we know that God's glory does endure forever. And he rejoices in his work. God didn't form you and me and the stars begrudgingly. I just think we need to sometimes be reminded of that. Like God wasn't up in heaven and then it all just came to pass accidentally. Like he made and created everything we see with joy. The way a painter looks at a canvas and enjoys putting that creation on that canvas and then when it's all done says, man, like that's good. God delights and takes pleasure in the world in which he made. He takes pleasure in the stars. He takes pleasure in the moon. He takes pleasure in you. He takes pleasure in me in my daughter and my sons. Like God takes pleasure in what he's made. This matters so much because if he didn't delight in his works, then I don't think we'd have any hope for his steadfast love to be for us. You know, even his wrath against sin is anchored in his love and pleasure and delight in his creation. So let me give you uh, a little bit of an analogy that I think might help. Most of you know that um, my daughter Jade is visually impaired. And um, just tell you of a circumstance that happened a few months ago, we took her to the park and there was a little one that was there and he came up to Jade and um, looked at her and obviously it's very clear that she's visually impaired. And he looked and said, hey, What's wrong with your eyes? And we saw in Jade just hurt and wound. And in that moment as a parent, like I felt anger. I felt anger because what I love and what I cherish and what's, what's, what's deeply important to me and what I take so much pleasure in in my daughter is being hurt. She's not only being hurt by this insensitive question, which that kid didn't mean anything by it. He had no ill intent, but she's being hurt by that. She's being hurt by the brokenness in creation, which just caused her to have visual impairment in the first place. And I see that wound and I feel anger and I feel wrath at that stuff and at that thing because I love her so much. If I didn't love her, I wouldn't care and I wouldn't be angry. Christmas is not only about dealing with that wrath, And the sin that is about going all about bringing havoc in his creation, it's about restoring what he has made to its rightful place. So his motive for sending the son starts with his pleasure and his delight in his creation. And then the second motive of the father is simply his kindness. Jesus was sent that we might find a way to be reconciled, to be adopted as sons and daughters. Reconciled back to right relationship. Ephesians chapter one, verse five makes that clear. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Now, that's out of the NASB. Your ESV Bible, if that's what you use, doesn't say kind intention of his will. And it's because it's missing the intent behind the Greek. But the intent behind the Greek is that it was a kind intention of God's will. He is kind. He loves this creation and everything in it. And his motive for reconciling that which has been unreconciled and which is unreconciled is a motive out of not only pleasure and delight in that thing, but also out of the kindness of his heart. It isn't our right. We don't deserve it. It's not something that we do that forces his hand to do it. It's because of his goodness and because of his kindness. The motive of the father needs to be seen. The work of the incarnate and the fullness of God becoming man was something that pleased God to do. It pleased him because he wants to reconcile that which is unreconcilable. Out of pleasure, out of delight, and out of kindness, And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that, don't we? I I do, I think. So here's the thing I want to look at now. Now that we know his motive, in other words, the reason why he sent Jesus, I want to look at the scope of what he is doing in his reconciliation, the scope of his reconciliation. A quick reading of Colossians could lead us to short sell how absolutely huge this is and how massive this is. But don't miss that this reconciling effort isn't for some things only or only for a few individuals, but it is for all things. Jesus' work, his intent of reconciliation is a cosmic one, not an individual one. A cosmic one, not an individual one. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. This is one of the most famous Christmas passages because it heralds the coming of Jesus long before he came. And it communicates not only God's motive in his heart, but it communicates ultimately the end of what's going to take place. Isaiah chapter 6, or Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Get that zeal, like there's that, man, I I want to do it. My, My passion is to do this. This is not something that God does begrudgingly. But we spent a whole sermon series on this last Christmas. And so I'm not going to get into a lot of specifics here. But I want you to see that through his reconciling work and his kingly reign, peace will forever increase. Peace will forever increase. And it's because of his rightful rule over creation. So the scope of reconciliation is going to be him taking the rightful rule over his creation. And last week, we talked of this as everything becoming subservient to Jesus. But specifically, all order will be brought back underneath his rule. So every single corner of creation, both what is invisible and what is visible, is going to be brought underneath his reign. This is Jesus actually fluxing, flexing his muscles of authority to bring back into right relationship the thistles that plague your fescue, the famine that chokes out crops and dries up the ground, dries up the rivers. It's him flexing his monk muscles to bring extreme temperatures back into play to cease the ice storms, to cease the earthquakes, to cease the pandemics, to cease the tsunamis. It's bringing back into right order a time when there is no more demons, there is no more Satan, there is no more broken flesh within ourselves, there is no more broken relationships between man and man and woman and woman and man and woman. Like, it's completely restored. Everything is now brought underneath his Rain And like I said, where thistles grow, he says, no. Where oceans try to raise up and come out of their boundaries, he will say, no. Like this is amazing. Everything in creation is going to sigh a sigh of relief from all of its groanings. For the rightful king has brought back rightful order. He's brought back the balance to everything. Romans chapter eight, verse 22 puts it this way. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, until now, until now that Jesus has been revealed, until now that he has come to reconcile all things. Where there were groans, there is now hope. Like, shouldn't that give us hope for Christmas? where you see and feel groans in every corner of this world, it should now bring hope. All things means every physical component of this universe that has been kicked out of sync because of our sin and rebellion is going to be brought back. And I've said it over and over again because we need to be reminded of it. Everyone in this room has felt this groaning in the depths of your soul, in your personal relationships, in your broken bodies, in the rot and the rust that we experience all the time, even even his wrath is gonna be part of the work of reconciling. And this leads me to the next point, and this one is a little bit hard for us at times. But you know when this text says this, he also means that the the wicked are going to be reconciled. Now, I wanna be really, really clear when I say that. Because what this does not mean is that there is gonna be some sort of a universal salvation for all people. It doesn't mean that everybody is gonna be saved. That's not what it means. But it does mean that everyone will be reconciled one way or the other. Now, here's the thing. I wanna just put it in this way. When you know somebody that has done a horrible, horrible wrong, as a Christian, how are we supposed to address that? How are we supposed to feel about that horrible wrong? Are we to want to wish that that person would experience justice? Or are we to wish that that person would be experience repentance and come to faith in Jesus Christ? Now here's the thing, when we think about the wicked and we think about sin, oftentimes the scripture refers to that in, firm, in ways of talking about it like debt or wages, like the wages of sin, for example, is debt. So here's how that means. It means that everybody who is wicked, if God doesn't do anything that's gracious and merciful, they will be reconciled back to right order, but that right order will be one of justice and punishment. Meaning this, as Christians, we can look at the wicked and we can say, God, we trust you to deal with this wickedness. Either you are going to bring this wickedness to ultimate justice by having that person pay their own debt through condemnation. Or you will bring that person to forgiveness through Jesus Christ. See, even the wicked will be reconciled. I love reading the Psalms because you hear this in David. This gives us as Christians so much hope when things are going on to look at the people when they do hard and wrong things to us to say, you are gonna be reconciled to God one way or the other. Now my prayer and my hope is that you will come to faith in Jesus Christ and that you will repent of your sin and you will repent of your wickedness and that he will forgive you and reconcile you by taking your debt and paying that debt for you so you don't have to. But even if you don't, I don't have to take the burden of demanding vengeance because you're gonna reconcile that debt. And if that person chooses to pay their own debt, if that person refuses to place their faith in Jesus Christ, if that person refuses to come to Christ and say, "I I need your help and I need your salvation, then they'll have to pay their own debt. And it's an eternal debt that can never be paid. It's an eternal debt that we will try over and over and over again for the rest of eternity. This is why Matthew chapter six, verse 12 says, forgive us our debts. Forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven the, our debtors. And, and simply what that means is like, as Christians, we look at other people outside of us and we see that they're in debt to God. And if their debt hasn't been paid by Jesus, It's gonna be paid another way. And so we pray, God, please forgive their debt. But we can forgive because ultimately we know that God through Jesus is gonna reconcile one way or the other. Either he's going to reconcile through paying their debt by his blood or he's gonna reconcile by them paying their debt and getting the wages of their sin. The debt has to be dealt with one way or the other. And for anybody who would demand or desire to pay the debt themselves, they will find it is an eternal debt that cannot be paid. The books, if you will, remember the banking idea of reconciliation, the books of our soul have to be reconciled. The debt has to be paid. Never forget that. For him to deal with our debt in a way that doesn't destroy us he has to cast out our debt he has to lay that debt upon someone else and it's right there in colossians chapter 1 verse 20 and through him through jesus god is going to reconcile himself to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven by making peace by the blood of his cross he doesn't want The reconciliation process to be the one of us paying our own debts, leading to eternal condemnation. He wants to reconcile us to himself so that he can rejoice in his work and so that we can be restored to the way he intended it to be in the same way that creation will be restored. Christmas, man, Christmas... Is about the joyful sending of his son so that he might make peace for all who would believe in him. And not only for all who would believe in him, but that he would also reconcile this broken world. It's the only way that Isaiah 53 makes any sense. Isaiah 53 verses 10 through 11 says, yes, or yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. How could this be? How could it be the will of the father to crush the son? This little baby we celebrate at Christmas. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities it was his will to send his son so that the unreconciled might be reconciled so uh, here's the christmas story and everything we've talked about wrapped up god hates sin because it distorts what he loves most and so the motive of God to send Jesus was one out of a delight and a pleasure and a zealous desire to bring that reconciliation to that which is unreconciled. He desires to do that. And out of the kindness of his heart and the love of his heart, when we don't deserve it, he sends his son to pay our debt so that we would be reconciled. And Jesus, his son, this little baby that comes at Christmas and and grows up and does miraculous things and dies on a cross and raises up from the dead and now sits upon the throne. Like he will reconcile everything in this universe to him. Everything. All of creation in its groaning will be restored. And all mankind will either come to a place of celebration for his work of making peace by his blood or dread by them coming to realize that they have to pay their own debt. This is the Christmas story. And so this Christmas week, as you celebrate as you celebrate, hopefully, this Friday with us on our Christmas Eve services, I'm so excited for that, the five and the 11, or as you gather together on Saturday during Christmas Day, with every single present, be reminded that those things, man, they are just shadows of what he is about to do. He is going to hand to us as his people a completely reconciled world, a completely reconciled creation with completely reconciled bodies I want our eyes to be open to all that remains unreconciled so that we can have the hope for the reconciled version uh, that he promises. So think about going out to the lake and experiencing the lake without mosquitoes. Eating you alive. Because mosquitoes are in, out of reckon the, the wrong they're in the wrong relationship the way he didn't intend it to be. Christmas trees no longer will fade. Viruses and bacterias that are running amok in our bodies will no longer be present. Lions are currently unreconciled to lambs, but one day they won't be. They'll be reconciled. We'll be able to enjoy anything and everything that he made the way he intended it to be. He's going to reconcile us to nature and nature to us. But just think about the new heaven and the new earth. I mean, this is what Christmas is all about. Like, he is going to give us a new heaven and a new earth in a way that I can walk outside in the dark at night in the Rocky Mountains and not be afraid of being attacked by a bear because all creation is being reconciled. I can plant my garden and not have to fight the thistles and the thorns because all things will be reconciled back to God. I can stand at the ocean and enjoy the beauty of the ocean without fearing a shark eating me or seagrass or june grass, making it all yucky so that I can't be in it or a hurricane coming by. Like we'll be able to enjoy a completely reconciled world. And not only that, but he's reconciling us to one another. He's reconciling us to our work. He's reconciling us to our play. And so Everything will be fixed. Everything will be fixed. Because Jesus, this baby we celebrate on Christmas, who is the very image of God, who is the sustainer of all things, who is before all things, he's going to reconcile all things. Nature, creation, the wicked his sons and daughters, all will be reconciled. This is the hope of Christmas. Christmas. I want to simply close with an encouragement for those who simply feel the weight of your debt. Those who feel the weight of sin. And you hear some of this stuff, and maybe this morning you're like, man, this doesn't feel like it's a very Christmasy series because, or sermon because we're talking about having to pay our debt and what happens if we don't trust in Jesus. But the beauty of Christmas is you don't have to pay your debt. That by His blood, He is offering peace, but you have to put your trust, you have to put your faith in Jesus. And I really hope... That for all of us that are in this room, that are listening to this this morning, that you can have your horizon be expanded for the hope of an, a, a completely reconciled world. And for those of you who are unreconciled to Jesus today, that you will leave this morning reconciled to Him. That you will hear the delight and the pleasure of the Father, and that His wrath and His anger is against sin. And that he has paid the debt of your sin, so that you could be reconciled back to him and not suffer his wrath, but suffer his love and experience his, his, his kindness and experience his delight and be in right relationship with him. Like this is what Christmas is about. And we're gonna talk a lot more next week about specifically what it is for us to be reconciled to him specifically. But I hope that your heart this morning is encouraged to see all things reconciled to him. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word. And I know for myself, it is so easy to just look at the world around me and and just see brokenness, but then also see things and think, oh, this is so amazing. But the most amazing thing in this world is still unreconciled. The most beautiful thing that you have made is still unreconciled. And so it will become even more beautiful. It will become even more amazing. Lord, help us to grasp this vision so that we might live lives of praise and we might just celebrate you and bring glory to your name in this season, Father. I pray that you would help us to fix our eyes upon our King, our Lord, who is going to do this work. And for all of us who are your sons and your daughters. This Christmas week, may you help us to be reminded that peace has been made by your blood. Peace has been made by your blood and we can be restored and brought back to right relationship with you. And not only us individually, but we have a hope of being given by our King a perfectly reconciled creation what a day that will be lord encourage our hearts with that and i pray father for those that are listening to this that may not know you father i pray that they would lay their burden down i pray father that they would realize they cannot pay their debt that they will suffer your wrath but they don't have to by placing their faith and their trust in Jesus, not only to pay for their sins, but to lead them to life in this world and into the next. Father, I pray that they would make that decision to follow you even this morning so that this next year would be a glorious one of beginning to see and live out of the the reconciling work that is happening even now. I pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Merry Christmas, church. We'll see you soon.